we shouldn't define you know success as neuronormal like you know whatever that is like is that soul now at a peaceful state of flow knowing they are in their highest vibration doing their highest work changing human constructs changing human consciousness through their connectivity through their grace for the paradigm that exists that they're forced into we need to make sure that when we set out we are not setting out to cure something uh, we can't cure cancer because it's not it's a symptom not not a disease and so when we set our minds to cure something we immediately give far too much power to the word and not enough understanding to the context in which that symptom is occurring the context of autism needs to heal not autism the context how is it possible for a parent of a child with autism to become the superhero their child needs now I'm Lynn. And I'm Cass. When our son was diagnosed with moderate to severe autism, we went all in. We spent over a decade learning everything we could on how we could transform to help our son thrive. And guess what? He's doing it. This year, he ran for class president. Each week on this podcast, we will be sharing the secrets needed for you to become the superhero your child needs. If you want to learn how to tap into your innate superpowers to help your child thrive, visit AutismParentingSecrets.com. Hey guys, it's Cass. I'd like to welcome you to Autism Parenting Secrets. You are in for such a treat today because today is part two of our conversation with the amazing Dr. Zach Bush. If you haven't listened to part one, do yourself a favor and listen to it now. It's episode 36. You will be transformed. His words are that powerful. This week's secret is autism is a superpower. You don't want normal. Dr. Zach, thanks again for taking the time to share your insights with Parents on a Journey. Glad to be with the whole audience and glad to be with each of you in this journey. Dr. Zach, I know one of the things that drew us to you in terms of uh, the light bulb that went off for us was, you know, everything seemed and all the people that we were kind of really listening to and the research we were doing was pointing to, hey, it's all about the gut. And this was 10 years ago when it was kind of a novel idea. And so we tried a whole bunch of things, but like all roads kept going too. You focus on improving gut, getting the gut in balance and getting that corrected, that all kinds of things can improve. And that's why Cass dove into nutrition and food was such a healing part of our journey. But what would you comment on in terms of if someone's just kind of really trying to understand that concept and they're like, yeah, I guess the gut's important. Like, how could you frame it for them to really understand how essential is focusing on gut health? It's tempting as a consumer of healthcare or a, a parent of a child with autism, it's tempting to look to experts as they've been termed for answers. And I want you to know that nobody has answers, but we have observations and we're moving towards an understanding, not having an understanding. Uh, we haven't finished the human journey yet to say, oh, that's what it was all about. Oh, that's what nutrition is. Oh, that's what water was. Every year as scientists, you know, start peeling back the, the layers of the onion and trying to find the, the real core of the matter, whether we talk about uh, neurologic health, gut health, you know, cardiovascular health, you name it, we are just scratching the surface of our real understanding. And so if I could just encourage each of you every morning when you're feeling like you're at, you don't have the answers and you're, you're hungry for the answers, shake all of that off because the questions are there are actually disempowered at the beginning. You actually know within you everything you need to know for today. 
and your child knows everything they need to know. And they may not be able to express it to you today, and they may seem to be raging against the machine. What they're raging against is not the lack of knowledge. It's not a lack of answers that the kid is raging at. It's against a system that's not allowing them to flow within the, the reality they are living in. And so it's a, when we talk about gut health and nutrition, it can be overwhelming as a parent because you feel like you're reading every book on GAPS diet on to, you're trying to figure out is it bone broth or is it vegan or what the heck am I supposed to be doing? And, and it gets all overwhelming. Remember, these are this is a tapestry of experience. Then when we start talking about the gut and nutrition, this is a tapestry of experience with a million pixels in it. And so there's no right path. There's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. There's a journey and your child and frankly, you as well, but your child is an assay machine. You know, our science lab boasts some of the coolest technologies out there. We can do science literally 40,000 times faster than I could just 10 years ago in my lab at the University of Virginia. And so 40,000 times in 10 years, that's really good. That's really exciting. We can do science so much faster, so much cheaper, and we can ask radical questions and get such fast answers now. But for all of that, it pales in comparison to a 70 trillion celled organism that is quantum computing in every single one of those cells. A quantum computer, by the way, the quantum computers that will be out within the next two to four years, the current chips are, are mind-bogglingly fast. Nobody even knows how to program on a quantum chip yet because their, their speed of computation is so dumbfounding. But within the next two years, we'll have a, a single computer chip that's functioning in the, at the quantum level, meaning the, the, the spin of atomic structure or electron spin as the on-off switch within that digital board. That quantum computer chip is going to be able to do 10,000 times more computations per second than all of the computers on this face of the planet can do in 10,000 years or something like this. So it's like, it's one of these things, and I've got my numbers zeros off or things like that, but it's like, it, it is such an insane rate of speed at which quantum computing is capable of making, you know, millisecond and, and micro, micro, micro millisecond changes and adaptations and things like that. And what we are starting to approach with quantum computers is the first semblance of what a single cell has been able to do since the very beginning of origin of single cell life on earth 4 billion years ago. We are just scratching the surface of understanding how one of those cells computes. And so when we create the fastest, smartest computer chip in them in history, there is no smarts, there is no intelligence. It's a series of on off switches. There is no source there. There's no source of idea there. No, no computer chip, no matter how fast, has ever written a term paper. <laughs> it takes a creative mind to write the term paper. And it turns out as we start to talk about the gut-brain axis, your brain is a CPU chip. It is like that complex CPU chip in your computer or the quantum chip we're imagining. And it is a quantum computer and it's amazing. The speed at which it finds patterns, creates patterns. The fact that you can glance left to right across a room and take in all of that data and instantaneously figure out everything in that room without even having to name it, without even having to think about it, you actually know everything in the room. And you can look out the window and look you know, half a mile across the land, you can see the landscape and the horizon, you can instantaneously make sense of that entire thing. Speed at which you are computing is blows your mind. And that is just the brain. And the brain has never had a thought. The brain can only find patterns in creative experiences. And so the creative experience that puts information into the brain is the whole sensory system. And it includes your eyes and your ears and the sense of touch of your hands and fingers and everything else. But those senses of touch and those sensory organs pale in comparison to the two tennis courts and surface area 
of your gut lining. And the two tennis courts and surface area of your gut lining are exactly where you do all of your sensing. And so that is the ultimate sensory input system or the keyboard that would write the term paper is not up here. It is largely the gut lining. There's now understood to be more neurons in the gut lining. It's like 10x more neurons in the gut lining than are in the spinal cord. There's as many gut uh, neurons in the gut lining as you would find in, in the entire brain of a dog. And so this is an extraordinary center of neurologic complexity. But I just told you that this isn't the source of the term paper, that brain. So if the gut is the second brain, I would actually argue the first brain because it's simply telling the other brain what to do. But if the, the brain is the second brain and the gut is the, the first brain, where is the intelligence actually coming from? And in an extraordinary way, we're now showing that the bacteria within your gut are actually the thing that's typing on the keyboard. Your fingers are what wrote the term paper. But the consciousness that created the term paper, the ideas and the patterns and the experiences were all coming from outside of you. And so the outside of you that's actually typing on the biologic experience of what it means to be human right now and what it means to be sensing right now is largely coming from the bacteria and the fungi and all of this vast ecosystem that's typing on the neurologic endocrine system of your gut lining. That's amazing. And we've shown that if you eliminate a single species of bacteria, a single family of bacteria, you will lose about 90% of the serotonin produced in the body. One species. But we know there's 30,000 species of gut microbes on the bacterial side and some 5 million or 3.5 million, it's argued still, but I'm sure we're probably just scratching the surface, very confident north of 3.5 million species of fungi. And so that's not 3.5 million bugs, that's 3.5 million species of you know, organisms that are non-human that are creating this diverse ecosystem outside the human body, within the human body as a continuum between those. And so what is the intelligence that we express as humanity? We are, when we are healthy and when we are connected to mother nature, we are the CPU chip for all of mother earth. We are the sensory processing chip. We are the computing chip for mother nature. And so what we verbalize, what these children with autism are going to tell us is that when fully touching nature, when fully integrated into the field of knowledge, this is what I see. And your child, Rai, is an extraordinary demonstration of somebody who is tied into a knowledge field that is so vastly beyond that which I can access. He has intelligence that I cannot imagine having. We've shared in previous podcasts his exquisite recall. This date, this time, we were here, this is what was happening non-emotionally, that's my memory. That's what happened there. That's the knowledge field. He doesn't have to work to access the entire knowledge field of the journey of not only himself, I believe, but I bet he can see layers of all of humanity in there somewhere. And he probably can see patterns of behavior of the doctor who he interacted with for those stitches and everything else. And so he is seeing so many multi-layers. And so why is a child with autism overwhelmed with the sensory processing? because they can see so much, because they are unfiltered, because they aren't dumbed down to the five senses. They are seeing the entire knowledge field, and that can be overwhelming to something as frail as a human brain. That CPU chip is not keeping up with the speed of data entry. And so when we see a child start to improve with autism on the human level, it's actually that they're learning to put filters in place. They're actually seeing less of the, the field, perhaps so that they can communicate. 
And I think they're willing to do that journey too. They're willing to let go of their full access to the knowledge field so that they can begin to communicate more freely. But the longer they're in a nonverbal state, the longer those children go without learning to speak, they're seeing so much that there is no English words to express what they see. When they start speaking, they simply start speaking. They don't, they're not like a, a two-year-old that has to go, ma, 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 da, 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 da. That's never how an autistic child starts to speak. They always say the first word without nuance, without any baby talk. They say the first word, which is usually not one word. They'll usually put three or five words together instantly, right? So the first time you hear them speak is, mom, I'm hungry. And you're like, mom falls off her chair, never heard the kid speak, and just said a sentence. They don't learn, they know. They access knowledge differently. They don't have to learn it, they can know it. And that's exciting. And so this autistic journey for our species, for those of us that are touched by an autistic child, we're getting a glimpse of the whole knowledge field. And the gut-brain axis is the neurologic substrate or the biologic substrate by which we start to access that information. But we have to veil a lot of that knowledge thing before our words can start to express what we see. And so when your child is spending much of the day nonverbal, maybe stimming themselves, something like that, any of these activities that you normally see, in, and then they go verbal for a moment, the moment they go verbal, they've put up enough boundaries from the knowledge field to be able to communicate with you as a mere human brain. Right. Then they might fall back into their space where they're taking the whole knowledge field in and they're seeing it all. They're seeing all the, the quantum experience, the real you know, multidimensional space around you that you, you have not been gifted or have been taken away the gift of being able to see yourself and they're in that again. And so when you see your child not in a neurologic state that makes sense to you, take a moment to think that is it possible this gut brain axis is experiencing stuff on levels that the human journey has not yet given that the enough experience or language to for them to even express. Then they have to back up. They have to back up. They have to get back to 30,000 feet away from the knowledge field so that they can express something to you for a moment. And then they'll go back into the field. And so when your child looks most affected by their autism, maybe when they are most connected to the entire field. We were blessed because Rye's allergic to most foods. So we were very clean diet from when he was a year and a half old till current. But so many kids eat a lot of crap. And I feel like that will mess up their knowledge field when they have to process things that their body really wasn't truly designed to process. That's right. Yeah. And you can imagine the, the purity of that state. So if your child really is in this neurologic, you know, existential multidimensional state, imagine the influence of something like high fructose corn syrup or, you know, these other chemicals, uh, MSG being a good example. So chemical MSG acts as a potent neuro neurostimulant you know, just fat, salt, sugar combinations and the right thing to give that cocaine response. And so imagine this entity that's already in this experiential overload for the human brain to even tolerate, and then you give them a stimulant, and that can come in so many different food forms. You have now put them on hyperdrive, and they went from overwhelmed neurologic system to now completely cracking, you know, dysfunctional. That's when you move from a quantum state of knowledge field, which sounds beautiful, but may be very difficult for that being to express, to a state of actual suffering. And so that's where I really have a desire in my clinic and stuff is to move children with an autism spectrum diagnosis to realize that's not a, there's no such thing as autism. It's just a word we made up to kind of describe their experience. And so here we have a quantum experience of a child who's in a multidimensional sensory perception state 
And if I see suffering there, it's not because of who they are or their biology, it's because of the environment we've put them into. And so when we start talking about nutrition, or we start talking about the lifestyle of the home, the number of screens that child sees in a day, how many trees does that child see in a day? How many leaves does that child touch in a day? How much soil does that child touch in a day? If that child is unwilling to touch soil for the sensory overload, it's because there's a billion you know, microbes or 300 billion microbes per you know, pin needle head of soil. They're sensing all of that. And so how do you get them into a stage of being where they're okay coming in coherence with the microbiome of the soil? That can take some of these children on a journey. Some children have a very a big aversion to nature initially because there's so much sensory experience to be had there. And so moving them more and more into that natural setting, both through their nutrition and through the air they breathe and through the things they touch, is going to move them back into a coherence field where they are they can be nonverbal, multidimensional, you know, all of this stuff, but not suffering. And so when we see suffering, we have to take a moment to really ask, is the child's actual biologic, you know, innate condition creating that suffering? And I think I find over and over and over again in clinic, it's not. The suffering is not coming from within. It's coming from without. And nutrition is one of the biggest spaces that we run into this. But obviously, you know, next to food and perhaps really the whole purpose of food is the water. Hydration is ultimately the fundamental story of biology on the planet. The reason biology works, whether you're a leaf or, you know, a root system or a human or an earthworm is because water works. And so your child as an autistic experience in the current nutritional environment is going to be profoundly dehydrated because of the leaky gut, because of the leaky brain, because of all of these things. And when I say leaky gut, leaky brain, and all these things, it makes it sound like, oh my gosh, the child has all these biologic disorders. No, those are the condition of the result of a poor diet over three generations that have been seeing antibiotics both through their physician experience and their food experience, the antibiotics in their, their animal meats, the antibiotics in the soils, the herbicides, all of this. And so the antimicrobial accumulation event that's happened over the last three generations has put us at this massive deficit of biologic intelligence, which leaves us with the leak. And so leaky gut is not the result of autism. Autism is the result of the human journey. Autism is a necessary dewiring of the human experience so that we can create a new human experience. The disorders associated with autism, leaky gut, leaky brain, chronic neurologic, you know, disruption of the autonomic nervous system, pandas, all these things, all of that is a description of what we've done biologically to damage the child's environment. And so when we build back a healthy environment with the child, somebody like Rye starts to be able to be in, come in and out of their multidimensional state without suffering. And that's my mark of a healed child. My mark of a healed child with autism spectrum disorder is never, oh, they're meeting milestones like normal kids. No, if you actually measure that, that would be a horrifically stupid thing to want, you know? No, like the average eighth grader in America doesn't know how to add, like doesn't know how to do multiplications only. Uh, we are failing on so many fundamental milestones as a population. So let's not make these kids normal. For goodness sakes, let's keep these kids extra normal. And so the extra normal, extra extraordinary, you know, child that, yep. that you guys have birthed, if you can start to define success in these children through the food you, environment you create, through the water environment you create, through the nutrient you know, availability, through the breath of the air that they interact with, 
and the neurologic inputs, you will free that child into their quantum experience without suffering. And so let's let that be the new metric for healing of, of autism. Is your child suffering right now? No, actually, they're really focused and peaceful over in their little sector of the room. And when they jump up and stim and you run across the room and yell and, and pound the wall, that's not necessarily them suffering. Let's ask that question deeply. Are they actually suffering in that moment or are they releasing a tension that they feel in the room? Whose tension are they really releasing? Are they releasing their own or did they have to go do that to pull you out of your head game of we're almost bankrupt, we have no more options, we have this or that, and they can feel that tension mounting in you as a parent and so they're going to have to show up again to break that paradigm and say, there's something right now. And that something is me. <laughs> That's what that child is, is almost doing in the STEM moment of it's me. Are you paying attention, mom? Are you paying attention, dad? Are you paying attention, grandma? No, I was, I was pulled into my head for a moment. I wasn't paying attention for a moment, but I'm here and I'm sorry you're suffering. And the kid's point might be, I'm not suffering. What are you talking about? You were the one suffering. I just pulled you out of it again. Stop doing that. <laughs> You know, and so is that the journey that we can all take? So maybe I'd be interested to hear from you, Cass or, or Len, just either one of you, you know, when we've spent time together in clinic, instead of focusing on Rye, but focusing on each of you, what has that journey been like? What does that look like in your experience? It's taken a long road to get there because it was like, okay, I just have to be that martyr to help my kid. And then I realized the more that I take care of myself, the better I show up to be that better human that I'm here to be. And I can support everyone in a, a better way because I am such a better giver than I am a receiver. Um, and I think that's just part of working on my own trauma on how I was raised because it's so important. But that is when you're able to do that, that is when it's game changer for the family, truly. When the mother, or at least for in my case, when I felt supported, that's when everything changed. So when you laid me on that table, like and said, okay, work on that stress. And did my kids feel it? Absolutely. Yeah. Did I feel it? Absolutely. Did Len feel it? Yes. So it has that, you know, ripple effect that just um, is beautiful. Yeah. No, and we see it countless examples every day that they're feeding off our energy. They're feeding off our thoughts, which is why anytime I go to judgment of my son, especially, or my daughter of something that they're doing that I consider wrong, if I start to judge it, I can feel them receive that energy and it's not taking them in a place I'd like to help guide them. Yeah. So it all comes down to the inner work and never about being perfect because that's impossible, but it's about just bringing more awareness and as quickly as I can now to pivot <laughs> to acceptance, love, and that's a practice, but it's something I know we're both making an intent to get better and better at. And it's been interesting on our journey too, because when we started, Rye physically got sick. So for us, we knew that there was a medical component. And this is where our kids being so energetic, where medicine failed him, homeopathy was his missing link. But then once we got his body, his biology kind of back in um, equilibrium, that's when really it was all about how my, especially for me, my non-judgment of him was that connection where finally when he was about four and a half or five, he took me on a journey and I just graciously surrendered and went. And that is when I passed his test 
test that I was truly with him. Like I had his back, I wasn't judging and I was completely loving and that changed everything. That's when he felt safe and that's when he felt connected. Um, and so the more that I can not judge myself and just love myself, they feel that. Beautiful. I think that's so important for you know, mothers in particular, but I think fathers too, very much trapped in the peer pressure of being a parent of autism. Because if you are spending time outside of the Western medical paradigm that says there's nothing you can do, if you move beyond that and then go to TACA or you go to Autism One or you go to one of these big communities, there's a trap there of, oh my gosh, we have to be one of those families that cure autism or, or heal our child with autism. There's you know all these families walking around saying, my child was autistic and now they're not. Well, first of all, as a physician, I've never seen that. That child, again, is never normal. They are always hypernormal. And so to say that you've cured autism is to, again, disempower the child's journey, I think, on some level of saying, no, they, we're not here to cure this condition. The condition is a superpower when they are not suffering. And so if you instead walk those halls and say, we are learning how to make our children suffer less by suffering less ourselves. That's the journey I wish was shared in the halls of Taka and everything else is, we shouldn't define, you know, success as neuronormal, like, you know, whatever that is, like, is that soul now at a peaceful state of flow, knowing they are in their highest vibration, doing their highest work, changing human constructs, changing human consciousness through their connectivity, through their grace for the paradigm that exists, that they're forced into. We need to make sure that when we set out, we are not setting out to cure something. Uh, we can't cure cancer because it's not it's a symptom, not, not a disease. And so when we set our minds to cure something, we immediately give far too much power to the word and not enough understanding to the context in which that symptom is occurring. The context of autism needs to heal, not autism context. And so you guys are working on that. And you guys are a great example of a family that is changing the context in which autism occurred in your life. Right. And if you change the context, change the narrative around that journey, you guys achieve what you have achieved. Yep. yep. Yeah. And when we left, you know, originally we started out to defeat it. Like we wanted to, we were part of that whole defeat autism. And then when we realized it wasn't about defeating anything, it was about loving our son and connecting with him because that connection was our ultimate goal. Yep. And, you know, as we've been able to connect with each other and as a family, that's where he's been able to truly blossom and be able to share his gifts and truly shine. Yeah, one of the most idiotic things I think I've ever said, just now, I guess, kind of judging myself was when I made the statement that I love my son, but I hate the autism. And the reality is autism, that diagnosis was a part of like, it was something that was a part of him. He was being who he was. They just gave it that label. And so that was a big shift for me to kind of say, see how kind of how much that didn't make sense. And then it did. It became all about just forming a bond and being better connected and a lot of the other things that we really did try to intervene on was just simply about letting his own body's natural ability to heal Yeah, to, for us to stop doing shit that was getting in the way of that and just to let him be healthy and be as connected and as progressive wherever he wanted to go. So, But it, we also didn't use the diagnosis as like, so when Rye was potty trained at four and a half, 
Like it wasn't like, okay, my kid's going to be in diapers forever. I met a mom who had triplets that were eight and I was like, hell no, I'm going to get over my own fear. I'm going home right now. We're going to potty train. And within two weeks I did it. But a lot of this journey is parents <laughs> overcoming shit that scares yeah. them to truly support their kid, how their kid needs to be supported. Yeah, we all throw roadblocks in our own way and it just takes an intent to become more aware of them and then to do what you can. Uh, but yeah, so much of it, the shift was away from fixing him and more on just us doing our own inner work and just being accepting and loving. And it truly did just come down to that with no goal to drop the expectations. I can tell you just, you know, what that's looked like from my you know vantage point. I only get to see you guys every you know few months or whatever in clinic and but when I first met you, Len, there was a very uh, common male archetype happening, which was you had put on your armor and you were going to battle. No doubt. And what you were trying to extract from me at every visit was more arrows to put your quiver. You wanted more weapons to attack with. And you had a beautiful coat of armor. I mean, you had really worked on that coat of armor. It was going to protect you from everything as you forged ahead and just like took down the freaking barriers for your son and everything else. And you were looking for weapons. And on the other side, Cass, I, I, I see in you, when, when I met you, you had the shield. Uh, it, was, it was not a coat of armor because it wasn't on you. It was something that you were holding out in front of you. You had this shield and you were, you were protecting Rye from the world and yourself, ultimately. And uh, you couldn't heal because you were spending all of your energy holding the shield up against this perception that the world was pounding on the shield only to find out that you were pounding on the world with the shield and all the energy was you, you know, pushing the world doesn't care if you're here or not. Like 7 billion souls are going to, they don't care that you like have a shield or don't have a shield. They're not trying to push against your shield. They're not trying to attack your shield. As parents, we tend to like go flail that thing against the wall and say, Oh my gosh, I'm so exhausted. And so you were both exhausted when I met you. You were uh, on the brink of a collapse, I think, you know, at individual levels and as a family, which all of us have been there. And, and all of us are going to go back to again. We tend to do this again to ourselves for different reasons. Uh, more things will come in to put us in that thing. What I've seen unfold is a steady taking off of the armor limb and a steady, steady taking uh, down the shield cast. And I'm just uh, really, really impressed with the gentleness that has emerged from the two of you and uh the joy that our clinic has when you guys come in now like our our whole staff lights up when you come and we feel nurtured by the experience as much as you might feel nurtured by the experience because you two are now effusing a much different energy and you don't anymore feel like you're being attacked by the world and you realize that you didn't have to protect the world from rye and or him from the world in fact uh, rye came to touch the world and uh, he couldn't have done it with the shield and the armor up. And so through your guys' putting down the diagnosis, putting down the words, starting to love your son, starting to be tender to the possibility that he was the teacher, that he would show you the way, that there was nothing wrong with him or, or his situation, which is really interesting. I love that you stopped hating autism. That's the first journey into every patient in my clinic with cancer is helping them let go of the fear and anger towards their cancer and find out it's the best teacher they'll ever have. And this is the biggest gift you will ever have because it's the only thing that will ever really let you bring to priority a complete reorientation of your life. When somebody is suddenly faced with a, a cancer diagnosis, they finally will quit the job that's been killing them for 30 years. They will finally quit the relationships that have been abusive and, and manipulative and codependent for 30 years. It takes something that big to change completely. 
and you guys stopped being angry at the thing that came to change you completely and you accepted it and are every day now learning from it. And the beauty is that winning is not a destination. Winning is the journey and being vulnerable to the journey. And so you guys are, are winning the journey. There is so much to celebrate and no, but your thoughts, uh, and just perspective is so uplifting for us. And we just really hope that anyone listening can identify with a lot of what Cass and I were saying. Cause I think how we were operating with the shield and, and my arrows and all that is, is pretty common where how people show up. And, and the, the exciting thing is that there is another way of operating a different, just a different way of being. And it's possible and accessible to anyone. If you at least, you know, have that intention of changing yourself and seeing things differently. Right. It is a journey and you definitely have to shed and that shedding can be really challenging. So it's like you have to be ready to work on yourself to really support your child. Honestly, Dr. Zach, time with you is always a gift. So thank you. And we're just so excited that people can hear your perspective if they're not able to get to clinic and to see you in person. Uh, your thoughts, uh, are, I think, are really going to land so powerfully with people who are on a similar journey to us. So again, thank you so much for for taking the time with us today. Yeah, we truly appreciate it. All that you do. Thank you. Well, thank you for the two of you. Thank you for the gift of your whole family in my life. And thank you, everybody listening, for the gifts that you are uh, to humanity, the brave journeys that you guys have chosen as parents, grandparents, siblings to uh, an autistic child. And uh, the more we can love and learn and see, uh, the more we'll learn. And uh, the beauty will keep unfolding and humanity will change for it. So thank you for being on purpose as, as parents of autistic children. Thank you, Len and Cass, for your courageous leadership and vulnerability and sharing at this level with uh, the global community. I think it will be generations to come that we will actually understand the impact of a conversation like this. So uh, kudos to both of you. Want to learn how to avoid the 33 mistakes most autism parents make? Get your free training today. Visit AutismParentingSecrets.com slash unstoppable.